Welcome to the West of North London podcast, where we never finish as fast as Martinelli. <laughs> I'm Caleb. And I'm Tim, and you should speak for yourself. <laughs> Speed is not the object. <laughs> <laughs> and suffer if you're Martinelli, then it is. Ooh, yep. I hear your beer of the week cracking open over there. I'm thirsty all of a sudden, and it is time for the drink of the week. I have to get prepared. Yeah. Um, I, I, I'm just going to go since I, I'm cracking it open right now. Um, Citra Hop Session IPA from none other than Kirkland's Signature. Oh, I'm, I'm, I'm interested in this. Like, usually, I don't think Kirkland has a brewery. I want to know who's actually brewing it for them. So I'm trying to figure that out myself. Um, I didn't recognize... I can't see anything in this room. I go for the the low mood lighting. Yes. Um. Okay. <laughs> Brewed and bottled by Hopfen und Maltz Brewing Company, San Jose, California. Huh. Hopfen und Maltz. I'm sounds very German. Yeah, I'm guessing it's just a production brewing place. But uh, let me know how it tastes. Go for it. That's actually not bad. I mean, yeah, I would drink this. <laughs> I it's it's a four point nine. Yeah, so that's unusual for me. But as as far as like a very easy drinkable IPA, this is this is I could crush a few of these. Wait, a four point nine IPA? Yeah, it's a session. Yeah, yeah even still, that's. <laughs> I what do you mind me? Sorry, I'm just my mind's blown because I did not know Kirkland Signature had had IPAs. What made what made you go for it? Uh, you know, we were having a party, mm-hmm. and I want given the uh, options that were available to me at Costco, I I felt like this was the best middle of the road because I not everybody likes heavy IPAs like I do. Mm-hmm. But I still wanted something that was kind of bold, and it, but still you could put a few away and and still be at a kids party. <laughs> I, I should specify it wasn't a normal party; it was a kids' yeah. birthday party. So you don't want people getting getting too trashed. And if you put too much strong stuff out there, people stay away from it. So you got to find that that sweet spot. Yeah, like m- my mind is literally blown. I'm still trying to process this. Uh, <laughs> but I mean, yeah, I mean, it sounds sounds good. Citra hops are great hops. It's really not bad. I mean, I, I would put it above some other real brewers. I mean, this is probably a real brewer. I'm not, I shouldn't yeah. discount whatever this place is. I mean, I, I'm sure if we looked up San Jose breweries, there's probably a, a, some decent ones out there and it's probably one of those under a different name. Yeah. I mean, like I will say, like there's a lot of breweries out there that are, like have the production. So it's just like a production white label thing that yeah. There's a couple other beers that taste exactly the same that come from it. I'm going to Google this. Yeah. You know, I'm, I'm, we have the world at our fingertips and I'm just sitting here like an idiot. I'm just going to faff a little bit while you, while you Google it, which is, I, I just didn't know Kirkland Signature had beers at all. But I mean, I, I know they've had hard liquor. So anything coming up on your, uh, um, let's see, Jingle, this is who, re- okay, here's an article. 
Um, I don't know why they, this article says it doesn't have Kirkland beer doesn't have a good reputation among customers. I wouldn't, I mean, I'm skeptical, but if you, I mean, if you're vouching for it, if you're repping it. Oh, you know who it is? Who is it? It's Gordon Biersch. Uh, that makes sense. Yep. Makes a hundred percent sense. I don't think we have any of those in Seattle anymore. They disappeared. I think they've disappeared all over. But uh, the Gordon Birch family has started other breweries around the the country under different names now. Mm-hmm. Yep, that's what it is. Gordon Birch. That was one of my early, uh, early uh, beers, micro quote-unquote beers that I had was a Gordon Birch. Yeah, this is solid. Okay. I mean, I, I I can't complain for price quantity. <laughs> I mean, it's it's all good. Yeah, I mean, I I wouldn't say run out and buy it, but if you're if you're looking for good bang for your buck, and I I feel like good session IPAs are hard to come by. Yeah, this is this is a good this is a decent one. Although the uh, brewer me would say just go for a pale ale. A session IPA is yeah. not that far away from a pale ale, and there's a lot. It's of, not because I mean you're you're looking at if you have a hoppy pale ale, pale ales really live in that range. Maybe like I, I'm very surprised by the four point five. That's a a very low ABV for pretty much anything. I think PBRs are four point nine, so it's it's or Renairs are four point nine. I think so. It's not a it is very much lower than one would expect, but. So let me ask you a, a brewer question yeah. right now. It says on here, original gravity, 11%. So does that mean they, it was a high alcohol content and they'd reduced it? I, I'm a little bit weirded out by that statement only because <laughs> original gravity, as far as I know it, is in a number formula in which you have like um how how much sugar to water ratio it is so you have a usually when you have original gravity like so i just brewed a mead last week and my original gravity was 1.0094 is the number it's usually measured in bricks or other measurements a percentage as an original gravity kind of makes no sense to me it would be like saying well i guess if you were to like so it would be yours would be like a 10.9 original gravity i i would think in i think you just shift over i've never like in all my years of brewing i've never heard original gravity put as percentage yeah i'm my <laughs> And I, I mean, I, I don't know everything about brewing and I could be a hundred percent wrong and there could be a way that this makes sense, but it it's, it, it's confusing to me. I don't know why that needs to be on the can. Why would I need to know that? Yeah. What is that telling me? Well, I mean, cause like the reason you take it from a brewing perspective, the reason you take original gravity is it's right after you've uh, got the wart. And you're trying to figure out how much sugar is there and what's your expected alcohol percent at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. 
So, but does that mean it's 11%? No, because no, no. like you, what you're saying is how much sugar is there in there for the yeast to eat? So you can make a, a thing of saying, so if I start at, so like, for example, I'm starting at, my mead is starting at nine point or 1.094. Usually people just say 94 or 094. Uh, that means I can expect my mead to end when everything's done around 12%. You can do the math on it to see where the ending of your beer is. And then you take your gravities as you go to see if it's still fermenting and how much sugar is left and how much you still have to go. Mm-hmm. And that's why, so you have original gravity and then you take gravities until you get your, uh, your final gravity. So like huh. saying original gravity at 11%, like I, it's like saying, uh, I made the Kessel run in four parsecs. It's like, it's a mixing of terminology. That, yeah, that make, I don't... makes no sense to me. I'm just looking at a, a gravity chart right now. Yeah. Trying to make sense of it. Yeah. Cause it's all like the, the it's, it's, it's based if you get below. So dry is at one, one that's your like super dry. And then like occasionally you can get, get below one on the gravity scale, but it's never done in percentage. Like I've, I've literally never seen a gravity in percentage. Huh? Yeah. I don't know. I don't get it. <laughs> And I don't know why I would need to know it, even if it was yeah. that. Well, I mean, and then like if they're saying that like original, like it would make no sense that they brewed it at eleven percent and then removed alcohol to four point nine percent. Like I, no, none I of this is. Could. It sounds like uh, techno babble things to like make people who don't know anything about beer go like, oh, it originally gravity was eleven percent. Like, I. Uh, <laughs> From a brewing yeah. perspective, your statement or that statement on the can make, makes no sense. Yeah, I don't get it. But the other stuff, alcohol by volume, IBU, yeah. that stuff makes sense. You see that on every yeah. can. Original gravity, 11%. I'll, um, I'll, I'll come back. I will ask people smarter than me on the brewing thing what that means. Because just from my, I mean, fairly, I mean, I work in a brewery and I've brewed my own beers and things and I've read a little bit, but I could just be missing something. So if you're listening to this and you know why an original gravity can be at 11%, please write in. Yeah. Or why that would be on the can anyway. Is it a percent or is it a, uh, like a, uh, what is it? A, a degree symbol? No, it's percent. Okay. Cause like there, mm-hmm. there's multiple ways to, uh, to measure it. And like, there's, and there's like two ways and one of them is with a degree symbol and I forget what that is. Is that bricks? It could be bricks. So you can, do, it could be at 11 bricks original gravity, which would kind of make sense. I don't know bricks scale all that well, but that's usually denoted with a, a degree symbol and not a percentage symbol. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, anyways, <laughs> even looking at this chart, it doesn't make sense to me. Um, but anyway, that's my beer. Yeah. What What do you have to What do you have this week? I have a fairly fairly boring beer, at least for regular listeners to this podcast, which is I have Menace Brewing's Honey Blonde, buzz mm. buzz through Honey Blonde, comes in at about a five point two percent. It's a blonde ale with a, as I say at the brewery, a kiss of honey. So it's not overwhelmingly sweet. It just has a little bit of a a honey aftertaste. I'm sure I've had it on the show before. 
but uh, it was just uh, what's in my kegerator today. I didn't make any special trips out to the store to get a beer today, unfortunately. I was busy doing other things, so just what was in my kegerator. That works for me. Yeah. I, I am well known for just going with whatever I have. Excuse me. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. There's there's gas escaping from me with without my permission. <laughs> well, we spent a good chunk of time talking about beer. Do, you... do we want to shift to Tim's bit? Yeah. Let's do it. Well, my bit normally is pretty jovial and like lighthearted, but this one's going to be a fairly serious question because mm-hmm. it was just on my mind. After last week's result, or just keeping that in context, when Klopp left Dortmund, I was all on Klopp being the next head coach for Arsenal. Hmm. And I, I, there was a lot of talk of uh, replacing Wenger. If we had gotten rid of Wenger earlier, we probably could have gotten Klopp. There was a lot of talk of that going on. Would you have taken Klopp as an Arsenal coach? Like, you, you were, we're talking about uh, instead of a, a, what's his name? I, I keep on forgetting his name because I want to forget his era. Oh, Emery. Emery. And not gone through the uh, Emery era and had Klopp instead and probably missed out on Arteta. Um, no. What? Because I don't think... Uh, I had this conversation with somebody recently how you... For, for there to be a successful transition of power from somebody like Wenger to the next big coach it can't be back to back and and a lot of that is you have to have a time of of mourning a time of uh coming to grips with that change with that end of an era and so whoever comes in after is just automatically never going to live up to what we 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 had in that previous era in that long banger uh period with arsenal so no matter how good Klopp is now, I don't think he would have found success as as Wenger's successor. Yeah, I mean, like, you don't think he could have come in and really gotten more of an instant success? I just think culture, like, the, the club culture was already on a poor trajectory. Mm-hmm. Because the... the relationship between the fans and the ownership and the coach had already soured. I mean, we, it's, it's easy to look back at, at, at his, his, um, period with, with rosy colored glasses. Cause he was a, a, a legend and I like to think of the better times, but those last two, three seasons were rough and it was not a good feeling at the Emirates. It, it, you know, people were not happy. Um, and they were ready for a change. And I think people would have been happy to have Klopp. I think there was definitely a desire for someone fresh and new like that. But I, I think it's, you, you have to have a transition person. And, and you look at how, how things went for, uh, for Moyes at, uh, at, at United, how do you how do you follow up an act like Alex Ferguson? How do you follow up an act like Arsene Wenger? It just it doesn't happen. And and 
Um, I'm grateful that that Arteta didn't get the job right off the bat. I think we needed to have Emery in there to kind of be a buffer and a transition and allow us to move on from Wenger properly and and have some some space and then really assess what we were looking for. And that cultural rebuild that has has come around now, I think is is really important. And rebuilding that that relationship with the fans is is a key part of where we're at today. And Emery wasn't going to do that. I don't think Klopp would have done that. I don't know if the team was ready to do what Klopp would have needed. You know, I, I think there was just a lot of things that needed to change, but it wasn't going to be an overnight fix. I mean, do you think it is actually impossible to follow up? Like if you have a, a successful coach, should you just hire any coach in general because you know they're going to fail and just assume that like you're going to go through like a year or two of bad results and then wait for it? Or do you do you think there's a point in which you can actually move on from success to success? I think there's a way to do it. I think, you know, you look at, um, you look at like Chelsea where nothing's sacred and anybody can lose their job at any time. Um, they've found ways to find success with that. And, and I, I don't think it's impossible, but I also don't think they build up coaches like we had. And, you know, it's, it is, um, difficult to extract something that is so ingrained in the team and the, in the club in general and not have to have some some healing and try to figure out where you're going next and i just don't think that happens overnight i i think you can um when when you have uh a coach who you know has only been around a couple of years and you kind of got the coaching carousel going on i think it's much easier to make those quick changes and and find those those coaching bumps and things that that get you where you need to go but Chelsea and some of these other clubs, you know, Chelsea is maybe the exception um, because they are able to weather the storm a little bit more financially uh, when they need to rebuild. They they can when they need to do it, do that for a new coach. It's not a big deal. Um, that doesn't always work out for other teams. I think it's it's a challenge. So then would you trade the Emery years? And this idea of a long-term stable coach for the Chelsea model, would you think that that if that gave you the success that Chelsea obviously has had winning, uh, you know, Premier League and Champions League titles in recent years, but changing their coach every couple of years, is that, would, is that a successful model? Is that something that you would want to emulate? If we would have gone with that model, we wouldn't have Arteta. Mm -hmm. We'd be on to the next one. And I just, I can't see that being healthy. I just cringe thinking about that. You look at teams that have had success. Klopp's been with Liverpool for a while and has been allowed to build the team the way he wants it and has been able to develop that group. And, and you know, you look at Pep or it, it, there are plenty of coaches who are, have been given long tenures and are able to um, really grow. And at some point you have to, let that go and then not and not be too precious about things. I think there is a, a healthy way to go about it where you're not on the coaching carousel, but you're also not giving 20 years to a manager. Um, you know, I think there's 
there is a balance to be found with uh parting when things make sense it might be and i think this is something arsenal has to learn with their players and and with the coach and making sure that um you know things don't go too long don't go past their ex- expiration date and I, it it is something that it is a, a different difficult balance to strike and and they're not always going to get it right teams don't always get that right it's easy to just say okay we're going to cut ties and start fresh and we're going to find some success with the next guy and then you end up going to the next guy and the next guy it's 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 not guaranteed that you're going to get it right so you would say that chelsea is more of a, a anomaly anomaly than a rule for 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 teams doing that chop and change method yeah absolutely because you're looking at the the thing that allows them to do that and not hit the hit the skids quite as much without um you know it, it is it is money at the end of the day you're, you can buy your way out of those those growing pains that come with that so if you can if you can recruit and continue to bring in fresh blood and and have a quality and a talent level that kind of surpasses um some of those bumpy uh periods i i think you can get by a little bit easier than if you're a lower wage team and you're 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 not able to swap out players as easily you're you're hoping that a coach can come in and um bring something out of the group that you have without having to spend a ton of money that's a very different prospect so it's not it, yeah chelsea is is definitely an exception to the rule and and the i think the there there's a good case to be made for uh, a a mid mid term coach not a not a 20 year but maybe a seven to eight year span and and let a coach carry a team a group through their success um through their primes and i think that's that's something we're building right now with arteta is that you've got a group of young players you've got a young coach they're going to kind of all come together and hopefully that that culminates in in uh a run of successful years but at some point these players are going to age out and they're going to move on and they're going to find better places to go or um you know we have a window here where we can capitalize and i think um on the other side of that unless you recruit extremely well um you might you might hit a a end line where this group can go and where arteta wants to go with this this team so i we we can't be too um scared of that next phase whatever it may be yeah i mean you are seeing that with liverpool right now and, mm-hmm. and i mean the reason i asked that like just thought experiment of that question was the, the the idea that maybe we could have done it a little bit earlier you know that we could have been on a train earlier because i think emery turned out to be a mistake and a, a, a wrong fit but i think at the time when you're looking at Klopp. He would have been reunited with a uh, Mislin Tap. He, you know, he would have been reunited with Aubameyang, uh, uh, with uh, uh, like some of these players that made him great at Dortmund. And I think it, it may have worked better than uh, Emery did, and so he could have been on an accelerated timeline. But I think, but the the other part was the front office is going through so much change. Mm. It. it, it Taken in isolation, if you're just looking at the coaching, then yeah, it seems like an easy choice. But the other side of that is we had Raul Zanahi and um, you know 
the transition from uh, what's his face? Uh, why am I blanking on his name? Ms. Lintop. Uh, Gazidis. Oh, Gazidis, yeah. And uh, so there was kind of some some upheaval, some turmoil, some turnover. And so that played a big role in why Emery came in. I mean, he was a Spanish speaker. He It was it was an easy um, get for Zinlehi to bring him in. And so more than it being what was best for the club, it was what was easy for Zinlehi to make happen. And he was a big name. I mean, he was coming off of um, PSG at the time. I mean, so it was... Uh, I don't know. It seemed like a big get in its own right. Just maybe not what was best for Arsenal. Yeah. Um, seems like a long time ago now, doesn't it? It's, it's, that was when we started this podcast, I but know. I mean, it seems like forever ago as far as where Arsenal has gone since then. Yeah. And speaking of going great directions, how about that, uh, that Liverpool game? I, you have to pinch me. I, I, it's hard to believe that this is really, happening i mean i it, it's hard to believe that liverpool is kind of struggling i would i wouldn't say they're on the downward slope because we saw today that they they still have some uh firepower in them just luckily it wasn't against arsenal well i mean i i, th- I think that's the thing is a lot of the uh, punditry after the game was about like you know struggling liverpool liverpool's not the same liverpool's the third oldest team in the league they're on their down cycle but i think you have to give a lot of credit to arsenal to to the fact that they did contain to a certain extent liverpool they they you know they still scored two goals it still was a very exciting uh, difficult game but the arsenal players did contain a lot of these players like salah got a hat trick today in champions league uh, I mean, granted, it was against Rangers, but but you have to you have to give credit where credit is due. That I think Arsenal, as maybe low as low as Liverpool is, it's still Liverpool, and Arsenal really dominated that game. And I think the three two scoreline almost feels unfair in a lot of ways. I when I was watching the game, I felt Arsenal just absolutely dominated the game for. Some, but for small stretches or fluke goals, I thought it was a very great performance. I think you can, you know, look to Tommy Osu, who I think should have got a man in the match personally. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think you, you look to how well we contain that front line and, but for two well-worked goals from Liverpool, we were in the ascendancy. Yeah, I agree though. They were just in it a little too much and for as much as Salah was not part of the game you can't just rely on shutting him down and and having Liverpool also follow you know there's too many talented players there for them to be that one dimensional um I do agree that Tomiyasu was outstanding in taking him out of the game um but the the rest of the team, I, I do, I hate these kind of shootout games where we haven't really figured out how to shut down these big teams yet. I mean, I, uh, I'd like to see us kind of controlling things a little bit more. I don't want this to be any any sort of complaining because I think this was an outstanding game. 
but um to if if i had to nitpick if i had to look for any faults um i would say despite the win there's still a next level we could go to and that's really controlling the game a bit more so it's not so back and forth um but on the on, on the plus side i feel like outside of those goals arsenal did do a good job of of controlling the game and and especially towards the end just taking liverpool out of it and um i just want to have a little bit more breathing room a little more comfort where we aren't um going back and forth so much well, but speaking of controlling the game how how better to start controlling the game with, by scoring in the first minute <laughs> that absolutely oh were you settled in like uh when that goal went in were you in your couch with your coffee i assume uh-huh. Because like for me, I was I was at the bar, I watched it on replay at the bar, and I had just put the game on. I was just kind of getting the beers to the people who were there watching the game, and like suddenly I look up and I already I saw the goal go in. I was I was shocked how fast that happened. Yeah, that that is exactly what I wish Arsenal would do so often is um you know, when they when they can get into the game and that first 10, 15 minutes and really um, overpower teams with their speed and their pressure and their tenacity. Uh, it it just plays right into what Arteta wants to do with the whole game. You really set up the... the you, you set the tone for the rest of the game by coming out and scoring early. And it forces teams to open up, and that's exactly what Arsenal need because once you get that first goal... Um, the control that they have, the passing, the way that they're able to um, pick teams apart, it really starts to work in our favor when teams have to stretch and have to um, come out of their defensive shell a little bit. And so it plays right into our hands if we can force teams to do that early in the game, um, especially as we get later into the game and we've been just passing, just outpassing teams and forcing them to work really hard. And, and the pressure that we put on Liverpool, it it was like what we used to see Liverpool to do to us so often, mm-hmm. um, just continuing to um, harry and pressure them whenever they had the ball and forcing forcing turnovers and not just um, you know despite the the quick Martinelli goal, um, I felt like we did a really good job just having good composure and. Uh, picking our moments yeah and i can't tell you how important it is to get that early goal for us i haven't gone back on all the results and i'm just going off my memory but it's been so long since we've just come in and smashed a team like that in the face and Mm -hmm. it it, it is liverpool it's a team that's won the league in the last couple years it's a team that's been second place has been arguably the second to first best throughout the last couple of years and we really came in no fear and smashed them in the face. And I, I, I think that set the tone for the rest of the game. Liverpool played catch up the whole game just because of a, the a goal that happened in the first, first minute. And it was, it was great to see. And it was, it, it shows how hyped I think the team was to, to get into the game. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but, Stepping back a little bit, what was um, 
did you have any qualms with uh, Tomiyasu getting the start over Tierney? I mean, at the start of the game, uh, qualms is a hard, hard word to say. I like I <laughs> in Arteta, I trust at this point. Like I, if sure. I see a start, starting lineup, I'm going to be there's a reason. But it was definitely eye opening to see Tommy Osu start on that side of the pitch. You know, when we have other players that are were more proven value for it, and so I was it raised my eyebrows a little bit. But obviously, it was a, a genius decision. And I was talking to my buddy, uh, Jordan, friend of the pod, who's been on here, Jordan, about it. And it just, it really does show not only our, that Arteta is a great player manager, but Arteta is becoming a great tactician. That was a great tactical masterpiece, I think. Because, you know, as we've alluded to earlier, Tommy also had Salah in his pocket and... I think Arteta saw something in that matchup that he liked. Yeah, it definitely forced, you know, Tomiyasu being um, kind of multi dual footed. He, he's able to pick up Sala, whether he goes wide or comes inside, he's able to kind of lock him off. And I think that really forced Sala to have to um, work a lot harder to get into the game and really didn't get, any real opportunities from his position. Um, as much as you can mark a player out of the game, Tommy Asu just made him kind of a, a footnote. So that's, that's all that says a lot when you're talking about a player of solace quality. What'd you think about the, uh, the lineup when it was announced? Were you, uh, did your eyebrows raise with, uh, Tommy Asu? No, I, you know, I, Tierney's been playing great. So I was a little surprised, but, I, I also really like Tommy also, so any way we can work him into the lineup, because Ben White's been so good, it's hard to imagine taking him out. Um, so if they if they put Tommy Asu as a center back, if they put him as uh, left back, wherever he can fit in, I think he is going to bring uh, quality to that position. And so I think he's, he's just uh, very underrated right now, because he is... So, he, Last year, I thought he was maybe arguably um, one of our best signings. I think he he just surprised me and and a lot of people based on how uh, he was talked about when we signed him. I think people were like, "Well, why would Arsenal go after this guy?" And he's more than uh, lived up to uh, this. You know, he 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 seems to be a guy that sets high standards, and I think he he has uh, continued to fight and look really good whenever he's gotten opportunities even this season so it's uh his work ethic ethic deserves to be paid off with uh, as many minutes as we can get him well one of the things i was noticing about having both uh ben white and tommy asu on the field as kind of uh right and left backs was is this idea that it's almost like when i was watching the play it's all you can see arsenal almost switch to a three-back system where you have two players they're very comfortable being center backs so that when one goes up, you almost see the, the, the back line switch to a three back system. Mm-hmm. And it, it really does create difficulties, especially for a team like uh, Liverpool, which is usually playing with uh, three offensive players, three strikers, however you want to call it. And usually if it's a, you just have your two center backs and your uh, right and left back, it's a, a mismatch of numbers, but 
when you have three to four players that can can play center back positional, you can see it on the field. And it's actually really cool to see tactically. And I think it's not a, if the Tamiyasu and Ben White can play kind of hybrid roles, we're used to hybrid roles on a backs being like, you know, defensive players slash midfielder. But now we're seeing them as defensive backs slash center backs. And it was just really interesting. And I'm like, hey, again, I'm, 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 I'm enjoying the tactical things that Arteta is doing. Yeah. It's crazy to think that that whole back line was basically composed of, of center backs by trade that, that happened to also play elsewhere. Um, and it, it also speaks to the athleticism of the, the center backs that we do have. And I, I have to point out that the, the player that, um, was central to the second goal, uh, was, was Gabriel. Like what, I, who knows why he was even in that position, yeah. but it, I think it does say a lot about the athleticism of our, our players and, um, that the, the defense offensive hybrid that we have going on, um, especially when you look at, uh, later in the game when Tierney does come in, uh, and you, you're shifting to a three, three in the back and you've got white and, uh, Tierney as your wing backs. It's like, well, this is this is a bizarro world, but it totally works. Well, I mean, before we get too far with Gabriel, I, I do want to touch on uh Liverpool's first goal, which mm-hmm. I the we, we saw that we've seen the best of uh Gabriel, but I don't think uh Liverpool's first goal highlighted the best of Gabriel. I think the uh touch he had to let the uh, the ball go through and then his tracking back even after his mistake was not ideal and that really led uh what's his name uh nunez, nunez. i was gonna say nuno gomez but that's not correct <laughs> nunez in a i it's hard sometimes you know like goals are gonna happen or whatever and it's you know you can always assign blame but i i did feel gabriel could have done better in that that short stint of play yeah, I think he's he's been the most mistake prone um of the center backs so far this year. Uh but then he can be lights out. I mean, like for the most part he does fine, but then he has these big big moments where he's got mistakes that are that we're having to pay for. Um it certainly opens the door for a player like Tommy Asu to maybe put put pressure on um you know well, maybe White needs to shift over there for a game or two, or you know, it's like uh, when you have holding scoring in the Europa League and stuff. You know, it, it the level of competition that we have with our our center backs and the, the defensive pool that we have to pull from. Um, Gabriel, for it, it's kind of this give and take. He he loses and 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 misplays a ball and and gives up a goal. And then he turns around and is very involved in the next goal. And we've seen that with Saliba. We've seen that with Gabriel in other games. They they seem to step up and and kind of even even things out. Um, and, and so it, it puts the level of competition. I think puts pressure on these these players to to say, hey, I, if I'm gonna if I'm gonna screw up, I better make up for it. or I might lose my spot. And I, I think that that is a, a very healthy and uh exciting thing to have going on at arsenal right now in that back line yeah i mean 
Do you think uh, Gabriel would be your in your automatic starting center back right now? He's still real good. Yeah, I, I, it's, he, he, like I said, he is. Uh, for as many mistakes as he makes, he he has. He also adds in other areas. Uh, but like I said, we have we have other players that are knocking on the door. It would be it'd be a tough choice if I had to make it um, on who to exclude. But I think I still think he's in our best eleven. Yeah, I mean, it is interesting because I think that uh, Gabriel has less versatility than some of our other center backs. I, oh, I would have mm-hmm. said that about White last year, but his uh, renaissance as a, a back right now has been amazing. So it, it kind of makes sense that, you know, when you're, you're looking to get your best players on and fit the positions they fill, you can't put him anywhere else and you want him on the field. So I feel like it, it, it makes sense for him to be keeping that role, but it's something I have an eye on for sure. And I think he's, he does, it's not an, I don't think it's an automatic name on the sheet. No, I think he's, he's definitely going to have to keep fighting and, and not let his guard down. Cause if he, if he continues to have mistakes and it becomes uh, a bigger trend that affects, you know, causes us to lose games, I think then that the opinion will turn if, if he's giving away goals that lead to losses. But so far it hasn't, we haven't had to pay, pay too hard for his mistakes. And then moving on to that, uh, the second goal, would you, would would you think of, uh, that, uh, that whole sequence of play that led to the second goal? Uh, are we talking about, the, oh, the second goal for Arsenal. Yes, yes of course. Um, yeah, the, uh, the <laughs> can't can't get away from Gabriel <laughs> and his his involvement in that. But the, um, you know, this comes from a turnover at the other end of the field and just the transition to get uh, Martinelli on the run, uh, and it, it's just it's such a great pass into a dangerous area. And it, it really, it, I don't, it does not get to Saka without Gabriel kind of posting up in the middle and, and putting up that dummy. I think that was just, uh, that is the, um, it's, it's just beautiful. It's, it is quintessential Arsenal right now. We are, when your, your center back is getting up into that position and doing that sort of thing, we're just firing on a different level than we have been in the past. And this team is really feeling it. Every every piece was clicking on that. You've got uh, Jesus getting the uh, turnover and just getting it up the field quickly. So you got that Brazilian connection with Martinelli. They're uh, moving the ball fast, and the you know he's draw- Martinelli draws like three defenders mm-hmm. out wide. So of course with the, with the entire Liverpool defense shifted in that direction, it leaves Saka on that back post run to just tap it in, and I. It, it really, it, it is one of those goals. It's like, oh, this is actually coming together. Like we're, we're seeing connections and linkups that we're, we've always been there. I mean, the, these players are um, just finally finding each other in spaces that they weren't finding each other before. And they're trying things that they weren't trying before. I just think that there's um, 
there's been just a, a, another level that we've reached in this early part of the season. And, and I get the feeling that there's more in the tank for all of these players. I don't think we've seen the best of what they can do yet. And that's crazy to think because it's just so much fun to watch when they're really um, coming at, going at teams at, at speed and, and linking passes and, it just it looks so smooth. Uh, that that's that's the biggest takeaway is that they just look like they're having fun and, and making it look easy. I mean that that dummy. I when I was watching uh, the uh, goals again just as prep for the show tonight. I I I'm not gonna lie. I just rewinded and watched that dummy like about four times because it, it's a dummy that is like if it was Jesus or Jesus. Jesus, Jesus. Sorry, I'm trying to get it right, Jonathan. I'm really trying hard, Jonathan, to get this right. Uh, if if it was Jesus, we wouldn't bat an eye on that. But uh, a center back doing that dummy when he's in that forward position, I think nine out of ten center backs would have taken that shot or taken that ball. But him having the the uh, the awareness of the pitch to make that dummy, knowing that Sokka is going to be in there to slot it in, is amazing and yeah it's it's i think this that is peak what we watch the games for that's peak arsenal that is what we were about uh it just makes me so excited for what else is to come i i mean it's just when when that's happening it, it just means there's there's just so much more that they can do with that level of understanding and also the the other thing, and I, I mentioned at the time when I was watching the game replay, but live for me was it's so important to score at that point in the game. Coming into halftime, being a mm-hmm. goal ahead is such a psychological advantage. It changes the halftime talks. It changes how you go out. Liverpool now has to chase chase the game. It it, it is a completely it's demoralizing for a team to, to to give up a goal. So the timing of the goal was absolutely perfect as well. I'm just like, I'm watching this goal on repeat and it, it makes me so excited to watch this team yeah. again. It's like, just put, keep, keep it coming. No, I mean, it's low key. It's not, it's, you know, it's not the best goal you've ever seen in your life, but when you watch it the first time, you're like, I want to see that again. And that dummy, it's such a good dummy and it's a center back doing it. It's like, uh-huh. I, uh, you know, as I said, I, I watched it over and over and over again, and you're doing that right now. I can see your eyes on the, <laughs> the stream. I, I I just watched Firmino's goal, but you oh, know, it's that's okay. I, I'm, I I think that's the part that bums me out the most is that we kept they they were able to stay in the game. Yeah. Uh, but and I just want to get to the point where I don't have to be nervous. <laughs> and, and and I think with these with these big games. It's hard not to feel like um, we've seen Arsenal mess this up before. So it's only a matter of time until they do, right? Mm -hmm. And so even when they have these great goals, I still have that voice in the back of my head, especially when Liverpool's finding ways to get keep tying things up. Um, I'm very glad that things turned out the way they they did and that really Liverpool kind of tailed off at the end and and Arsenal continued to apply pressure that is the biggest change i think is that we 
don't ever seem to stop. And and that we saw so many times in the past couple of seasons where Arsenal scores, takes their foot off the gas, and it lets teams back in and then can't find a way to score again. The biggest change is we're still kind of letting teams get back into games, but we're not giving up as much. It, we're, we're continuing to fight in, in a way that we haven't really done very well in the past. And so psychologically, all those, um, you know, get, getting out and getting that first goal, coming back and getting that goal at the half, that, that level of fight and attitude that you're never out of it is so different. And that's really been the, the difference maker for, for this team this year is that it, it never feels like we're out of it. Even when, you know, I would have felt like it was game over or, you know, I'd be happy with a tie when it goes to two, two, I'd be like, huh? if we can get a draw out of this, I'd feel pretty good. But now it feels like uh, a goal, a goal or two, or, you know, just coming back and, and finding a way to win is never out of the question. Yeah. I mean, I think realistically from, if I take a step back, I was expecting Liverpool to score a goal or two. That was always sure. just going to be like they, what Liverpool is 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 that they're going to score some goals and that's how they play they've always been playing that heavy metal football that Klopp likes to talk about so it 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 didn't surprise me that they scored two goals and that they got back in but I don't know if it's just the way the season's going I don't know if it's merited but like I always felt that we had a win I mean I think I'm just re-saying what you said which is I, I always felt we had a win in this game or at least the opportunity to win it and when, you know, they score the second goal, I was like, you know, obviously down, but I was like, I felt there was a chance for us to get back and get those three points. And it turned out that we did with a, I mean, it was, there was a lot of attacking going on, but there was a, a penalty call for that third goal. what do you think of that? Yeah. You know, I'm just watching that, that, that player right now. And it, the thing that stands out to me, even before we get to the penalty it's just how relentless Arsenal was mm-hmm. leading up to that. Um, they had Liverpool pinned in their box, and it was just shot after shot, dangerous pass after dangerous pass, and it felt like it was only a matter of time until Arsenal was it, it was going to get a, a shot on goal, and, and with all the players that we had in the box, it just seemed like they, they were, Liverpool were not able to play out through us. And so getting the ball into dangerous areas, it it was only a matter of time, um, especially with the way that Jesus tends to play in those uh, positions. If you can get the ball to his feet, he's going to make players miss and um, cause a little bit of chaos. And in, in this instance, it's uh it's drawing a penalty. And um, what was your, what was your initial reaction when you saw the, or when you saw Michael Oliver point to the spot? Did you feel like that was, um, iffy. Like, did you feel like VR, VAR would possibly overturn that? In real time, I had no idea why he was pointing to the spot. To be honest, like I like hmm. it's the type of play you see all the time. A player goes down. It didn't look particularly penalty worthy. It looked like there was a ball that popped in the box. A couple of players came together. Jesus went de- or Jesus went down. Uh, I wasn't baying for a penalty in real time. And I w- 
to be honest, I was surprised to see uh, Oliver point to the spot. But then when you look at the uh, the replay you, and you see what the ref saw, it, I mean, to me, it was obvious that he got kicked and you're going to get that, that that called. And I don't... I, once I saw it in, in instant replay, I wasn't worried about them overturning it because it, it it was pretty obvious. The referee saw something. Instant replay goes back and it shows it. And it, you know, there's nothing to me that would overturn that. And it, is it soft? It's I mean, it's definitely on the fuzzy end of penalties, but I don't think it's out an outrageous call. I don't think it's anything that we haven't gotten called against us. Like I think it's. Oh yeah, I've definitely seen that called against us. Yeah, so I'm. Yeah, it, it's one of those ones that like I was as soon as I saw, saw the instant replay, I was like, I, the, I wasn't worried about it. I thought it was. I thought it was a penalty. Yeah, I just feel like if the if the teams were reversed and I saw them point to the spot and it was a penalty against Arsenal, I'd be like, yeah, of course they're calling that against mm. us. Like that. That to me it would be a, a penalty that we would get called against us all day every day. However, with with a with us in that position to earn a penalty, uh, I I had my doubts. I just felt like pretty much any time Arsenal scores or <laughs> has this situation, I'm just waiting for VAR to step in and screw us. So I don't really get as excited as I might yeah. <laughs> have a, a year or two ago before VAR came and ruined our lives. But um, I guess it's been more than a year or two. But, yeah. it, you know, it's just it's just uh, I've become accustomed to really kind of waiting a little bit to, yeah. <laughs> to truly celebrate. Well, I mean, it uh, it was pretty interesting to see the uh, afters of that too. There was definitely a little bit of an RG bargy after the uh, after the penalty call. Would you what would you make of the uh, the pushy and the shovey? Yeah, so this is get this is where it gets weird because um, this this the interaction between teams resulted in uh, the ref going over to Klopp and and Arteta and having a word with both of them. And I was like, well, what were they doing on the sidelines? And then come to find out, um, this is all stemming from what we're all assuming is some words exchanged from one Liverpool player to an Arsenal player and some apparent um, bad language. I, you know, of course there's bad language, but I don't want to say anything until we know for sure. But it's, it sounded like there was some um, some racial terms that were used that were deemed less than acceptable so the uh the fa is apparently looking at the situation this is the, at this point this is the first i've heard of this uh do you know which side was was it it, it is against uh, the speculation is that jordan henderson said something to gabrielle based on the reactions that the players had uh shaka got pretty upset and started going after him yeah i mean i do i mean i as i said i don't I, this is the first I've heard of the racial component to this. And, you know, if it's true, fuck Jordan Henderson. And I hope he gets a huge fine. But uh, uh, one of the things I did enjoy is seeing the steal of Jaka in the right way. That, like, he, mm-hmm. he for me, when I was watching it, I love seeing Jaka stand up for his players because uh, I was seeing it as um, I, fe- I believe Henderson also pushed uh, Jesus physically. Uh, 
pushed him at a certain point and Jaka was like I saw Jaka run in and do what be that steely man that we've always needed and have have lacked since Vieira of mm-hmm. a player coming in and standing up for his uh teammates. And I really enjoyed that. I mean, it's pushing the line. There's a point where you could possibly get some cards or some red cards for some of the the stuff. Another referee may have gave pulled out harsher cards than they got, but I really did enjoy that. Now knowing the uh, the racial component, I or I mean, I actually hopefully not. I I do hope it's uh, it isn't a racial racial thing because I would expect players to be more professional in that, but. Yeah, it is. Um, it is in the process. I haven't heard any updates on that, but uh, you know, I don't think there's anything that's going to happen to any Arsenal players. But if it is, if it is something that a Liverpool player did, you know, I hope that it's uh, taken care of in the right way. I, I hate to see a slap on the wrist sort of situation, especially when you're trying to stamp that out um, from the fans, and um, you just can't. It it can't be. Uh, allowed to happen in any aspect so I, I especially the players who have to set the example yeah exactly i mean if the allegations are true i, I would hope the book gets thrown at them unfortunately i, I have little faith that the uh, the uh, fa will do anything about it because that's previously what's happened but yeah we'll have to wait and see um especially with an english player i'm, I'm curious to see how hard they go yeah if at all um yeah so then uh that that all leads to uh a Saka penalty who has become our um go-to penalty taker and i it, it it is interesting that he is still relatively new at this but he has taken some high profile penalties against very big teams and made it look in this in this instance made it look pretty easy i mean not the not the easiest penalty to to score with but um was able to beat allison's out outstretched hand and uh it, it is every time he scores a penalty i think everybody just feels like it's a vindicate vindication for his um previous woes and the fact that he has turned turned the the story around and yeah. and made it such a positive thing for himself and for the team. And, um, he, he's just, it's such a, uh, it's such a good story. And I, I hope that it culminates in him scoring a penalty in the world cup or something, you know, to kind of go, go, go full circle for the national team as well. well it, it, it's just so funny because I remember, I remember watching that penalty shootout live. And when he came up to take the penalty, I was like, he doesn't take penalties for Arsenal. Like he, he you know, I mean, there's a reason he was late in the penalty game, hmm. which is that he wasn't a noted penalty taker. And the amount of just uh, shit he took for missing that penalty and the uh, unfortunate racial racial abuse, I think it's it really is Arsenal kind of trolling those people and saying, "All right, like we'll let him take penalties." And when he's a regular penalty taker, he scores them all. And it's it's it. It makes my heart sing with joy, and I think he's more than redeemed himself for that 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 miss in the uh, the uh, the the uh, championship against Italy. And uh, yeah, you can't take a better penalty. It's it was unsavable. The the 
keeper guessed correctly and he just put it in that place where you can't save it as a keeper. Yeah. And it's 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 great. I'm I'm all about him taking them those penalties. Like I'm I'm happy with him as our penalty taker. I'm not sure who else would be doing it for us. I, I apparently Jesus is not a great penalty taker as far as his record goes. So it, it seems like um I don't know if I, I can remember seeing Odegaard take one. That would be my 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 Odegaard or Martinelli would be my next guess for yeah. Because I yeah, so I I don't know who else is good at it at this point. Maybe Jaka. Like Jaka has a long range bomb on him, so maybe. But as far as like who who has the talent and who has yeah. the composure, Saka's our guy. I he he just he has really stepped in to fill that role, and I don't think there's any looking back. Yeah. And it's, I'm not an English national team fan. Sorry for all our fans who are an English national fan team, but uh, I think it's only good for the English national team that Sokka is getting these penalties because there will mm-hmm. never be a, a time in the World Cup where they, England has to go to penalties. I think it's written in the rules of FIFA that England has to go to penalties <laughs> at some point. And uh-huh. the the amount of practice that Sokka is getting and the, uh, the arc, I mean, at this point, it's written in the stars that Sokka is going to score a penalty in a penalty shootout to win the uh, World Cup for England. <laughs> I am, you know, since the U.S. is in the same group, I am, um, I'm, in, I'm curious how that's all going to play out. I feel like he is, um, he, he's destined to have a really good game yeah. against the U.S. That's my prediction. I, I'm not going to go do We're still on the team, so we'll, we'll save our World Cup talk for when we have nothing to talk about. <laughs> yes, we got we got plenty plenty of time before that happens. Um, but yeah, I think that after that, we had um, just really good composure to see the game out, and, and it went long. It was 97 minutes, I think was the... Yes. Yeah, it was... A little nervy at the end, I think. Um, it, Liverpool got into a, a couple of scoring positions, but didn't really make anything of it. And there's just, uh, I don't know. Even even though they, you can never count them out. I just felt like there. I, I felt the level of peace I wasn't expecting um, towards the end there, mm-hmm. and thinking, yeah, I think I think we actually have this. I, yes. And uh, the only thing I want to say is I don't understand why it was two minutes over the five minutes in extra time. I I, I, I was trying to f- actually figure out why there was so much extra time added to the extra time. Like I was actually getting annoyed with it. Do you, do you have an answer for that? I'm trying to remember. I thought there was some sort of stoppage. Um, Is it injury? No, I don't think there was injury. Yeah. But yeah, it, it did seem to go go a little too long i just felt like it could have been called right around just after the 95th minute and i i think there was a couple stoppages or switches of play in the 96th minute i just don't understand there felt like a time when it was in the 97th minute where the ball was going away from the arsenal goal yeah and then oliver allowed the play to kind of develop and go for one last attack and it just I, I i i didn't understand it and i get it they have their own timekeeping system and everything but it seemed a bit excessive to me luckily it didn't result in anything and it was i 
it, it is nice to have two weekends with big high profile wins. And I, I think we can I think we can honestly say that they're they're the real deal. This is not a a flash in the pan. I, I don't know what the rest of the season will bring, but for right now, Arsenal are surely earning the top spot in the league. Yeah. It is not it is not a fluke. I mean it, the only regret I have is now that that men United game. Uh, mm-hmm. If we could have gotten better there, and I think that was a game that could have gone our way. But it, it but the, some of those games can be reality checks. Mm-hmm. You know, I think you need to have some bumps in the road at this stage in the in the team's development to kind of remind yourself that the process is working. Because when you bounce back from that and you get back to basics and you get back to what you're good at and you find success, like it, it, I think it reinforces for these young players what what is important and how you know if they stick to this path that it will pay off because they are even despite that loss they came back, got back to work, and continued to find the success that they had had before it. So it wasn't like that that. Uh, derailed the team like some of those losses have in the past and i think that mental fortitude has been forged in in those losses that we've had to deal with last season and um now kind of dealing with it again this season like i think that was like oh my gosh if if we don't fix this we're going to go back to where we were and we can't do that we have to keep pushing forward and so i think that um mentality shift is is evident and and important to making sure we go far this season because you, you can't get, you can't get uh, thrown off by a big loss like that. You have to take what you can from it, learn from it um, and, and continue to press on. And that was something that was interesting in reading the uh, post game interviews from a lot of the players was, and we got to see it very much real time in the, uh, in the uh, documentary, the all or nothing documentary, which was how, painful the end of last season was and how mindful these players are that they're not going to repeat what happened last season they are laser focused on getting that champions league spot and not giving up these moments and these chances that they have and i think this liverpool game is a great great example of them getting that goal, that final goal to make it three, two and closing out the game and knowing that these are the games that they need to win to get to where they are. Yeah. It's it. Anybody who thinks that Arsenal hasn't earned it at this point or, um, it, it, that it's not, not the real deal. I think you, they have, they have only looked at, the last couple of weeks to really buy into what they're doing. Um, but I had the real debate now is, is this team good enough to go up against man city in the long run? And that, that is, that is the true test is do we have the um, endurance to continue to play at this level through a whole season? Because I know man city does. And they're not going to falter very often, if at all. Yeah, I mean, head to head, I do worry about that. Like, I, 
there's a person that comes into the bar all the time. Shout out to Tom. And he is a huge Man City fan. And every time I talk to him, I'm, I always tell him, like, I, I do understand where Arsenal is. I don't think we're going to win the championship or the Premier League at this point. Like, I, I, it's a pipe dream. It's, this is a good foundation for us getting a Champions League spot. But there, 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 there is part of me that is like, eh, maybe. Like, I think the big thing is going to be something we've talked about for years on this podcast, and I can say we've talked about this for years because we've been on for years. But uh, is consistency, and if we can, it mm-hmm. at a certain point, it doesn't matter how many hat tricks Holland scores because winning six one is the same as winning one nil, and. It, if you can just keep a consistency, keep these points rolling in and then perform at big matches, which we've done the last two games. Yeah, we have a, we, we, we have a good shot at this and everything I'm seeing right now is we're doing the right things to, to, to make that possible. One of the things that crossed my mind looking at the schedule is that we were due to play Man City in this time frame. Um, you know, a pretty tough run to add Man City yeah. after after uh, Tottenham and Liverpool. So this is it was going to be a uh, a very testing time. Um, but due to having to reschedule the uh, Europa League match with PSV Eindhoven, it it is. Uh, getting postponed till later in the season. We don't really, I don't think we know when that's going to be TBD. <laughs> um, I'm sure it'll put it to like the last week of the year or last week of the season so that they can play up the, the drama. But uh, I had a quite, I had a question for you and that was where, what you think the results would be if we were to have to play them now? Like how, how do you feel we would stack up against that team? I mean, if you want it honest head to head and, I hate saying it. I think we lose that game. I think mm. uh, I'm just being realistic. Uh, that the the combination of Holland and uh, De Bruyne is stupid, and it would take an incredible performance. Not I'm I'm not saying that we can't we couldn't do it, but it would take an incredible performance to beat Man City at this point. Uh, I mean, City does have their weaknesses. I think their defense isn't as good as their offense. I think they have holes. I think you can score goals. I just, I think it would be 3-2 the other way, to be honest. Mm. Mm-hmm. Uh, or 3-1 the other way. I I don't... As Man City stands, head-to-head, we have difficulty but this is where I think like when you're talking about the league, it's not a head to head league. I think where we have a shot, where we have a, a thing is doing the consistency, winning these games, staying up because city also has their eyes on the champions league city has their eyes mm-hmm. on other things and there will be games. They will lose a couple games because their focus is on playing Inter Milan or Bayern later on in the champions league where we can concentrate on the league, but head to head, I'm, I, we're still not in the same league. I think, uh, Jesus is a great striker, but he, Holland is going to be the next 
you know, big thing, the next uh, Zlatan, the next whatever, and De Bruyne is the best midfielder in the league, and that combination is stupid. I keep on, I keep on saying it's a cheat code in FIFA. Like, it is just too good. Yeah, I, I have a hard time seeing how Arsenal could take both of them out. And I gave if, if you uh, lock down the midfield and, and, and stop De Bruyne from making clean passes, and, and even that's hard. Yeah. I mean, just, just that alone, taking him out of the game would be difficult. Uh, and I, it's, I like our center backs, but to shut down a player of Holland's quality and ability, I mean, his he he's he's going to body up to any one yeah. of our, our our defenders, and it's he's he's a he's a big guy. Yeah. I mean, it is not it's not like we have any advantage there. Um, so it, it that is that to me is is going to be a difficult game when we do play it. I would be hopeful we could get a tie or at least you know keep it keep it pretty close and and it could be a smash and grab situation for for Arsenal if you you know kind of try to play more behind the ball and um try to play out in the counter we've had we've had some success you know playing playing at speed and getting at teams if you could take advantage of that uh I think there's ways we can score like you said their defense isn't amazing but um yeah, it's how do you shut down that offense? That's that's the real key. Yeah, I mean, like I I'm more hopeful than I've ever been. If like I know I think I was on record last year saying like I'm just worried. I'm hopeful we go out of that game and not get smashed. Mm-hmm. I don't think we get smashed against uh, uh, City. Famous last words. <laughs> yeah, but I don't. Yeah. I don't. That's a wood desk for this. Yeah, thing. exactly. Boy. I have a wood desk. Um, <laughs> I don't think we get smashed, but like. There's, to be honest, it's just like it. It is the way it is with soccer that there are certain players when they're in their pomp are just unplayable. It's you know, you know, Messi at his his height, uh, you know, Maradona, Pele, Ronaldinho, old Ronaldo. They're just certain players that if they feel it, they're just Zlatan Ibrahimovic at his pomp. Uh, they're just going to run all over you, and there's no there's no center back in the world, there's no defense in the world that's going to stop them. They're just that good, and I hate to say it because I do not like City, and I have a lot of problems with how City builds their team. But Holland is a once in a generation talent, and he's showing it right now. I knew it when he was playing for Dortmund, and I know it now. He's he's if he feels it, he's unstoppable, and I think if it's a one versus two clash and there's a lot of hype. He's going to feel it and he's going to score goals. Mm-hmm. Well, the, for now we don't have to worry about it. Yeah. What we do have to worry about is continuing to get points off of every single game. It, if we're going to stay in the running, if we're going to um, even be in the conversation of, of can we nick it away from, city it is going to be a battle every other week yeah and then we hope we can be have a manageable tie or something yeah. when we have to go up against them um but you have to hope that they slip up at some point and we don't so we have to control the games we we can and not drop points to player to teams like united or anybody else it's i mean we 
we look so good and so comfortable at the moment, but there's still there's still tests to be had, and so I think we have to continue to hope that they bank as many points as possible when they can, and not necessarily worry about ca- catching up or keeping up with City. Um, it is it is more about maintaining that Champions League spot and and continuing to uh, battle well after the World Cup is done. Yeah, and that brings us to our, our next game, which is the the Leeds game, which is exactly that type of game that we need to be taking points. If we're if we're serious about this at all, we just mm-hmm. need to be taking points against teams like Leeds. Uh, they're a difficult team to break down. I think they can. They've already taken some scalps this year. They've they're obviously towards the bottom half of the table, but we just need to be taking full points from this team and it's something that you know no offense to Leeds I I do respect the team but I think it's a team that Arsenal should be taking all three points from so it's an important game in that aspect for me yeah I think it's that you know their form has been a little suspect recently and uh I think it's the way that we've been playing it is a even with teams that are difficult to break down, I've seen enough tactical flexibility and confidence with this team that it, it that does seem quite as daunting as it has in the past. And I feel like with the work rate that Jesus brings and the ability to um, force teams to kind of open up, I think that that we are going to have a, a easier time with leads than um, we might have previously. But it, it is... Uh, one of those games you definitely want to make sure you, the team stays up for because you can look at that and it's a mid-table team and think, well, we we just smashed a couple big teams. It's, this shouldn't be too hard. And then you kind of let your guard down a little bit. So I, I am hopeful this doesn't become um, uh, a, an area where Arsenal slips up. Yeah, and I mean, this is the type of game that five years ago Arsenal would lose easy, which is always mm-hmm. why I'm nervous about these games but i'm feeling more confident that i have in a while that uh it's a game that we should put away well before we get to that game we have uh another europa league match tomorrow uh photo glimpse round two and uh we had we had our first round last week what was your uh We'll do we'll do a fast and dirty assessment of those those goals and the the, the performance. Uh, what what did you think of that that first leg? My uh, very fast and dirty is that I was excited. I was happy with the the performance. It's exactly what we should do. Uh, you know, three goals against that team at home is on par. I thought the uh, it was nice to see Holding score and Enkedia score, or all three goal scores and uh, Vieira score. It wasn't as challenging as I feared with that game. It was it was it was very a performative match. It was it was a game that from start to finish we looked like we were going to win. We won the game. It is one of those Europa League ties that you know you have to win to go on, but we performed as we should. And it, it, it it did make me feel good that some of these players that aren't getting the time in the first team in the premier league are 
gain their time and showing that they have their abilities. Yeah, I think Vieira has looked fantastic. Uh, I'm really impressed with him. I loved getting to see him play alongside Odegaard for a minute uh, towards the end of the game. Uh, Kedia, again, just as good as we um, have come to expect from him in, in cups and, and uh, pretty much outside of his, his uh, cameo appearances that he has in the Premier League, I think he, he performs really well in all the other games where he gets to start, and, and this is no exception. Um, but I have to hand it to Tierney who really put it on a plate for him. Cause he, I don't know what is what Tierney's eating these days, but when he is put, putting shots on goal, he is putting the laces through it. I mean, yeah. that it's smacked off that bar so hard. And it's amazing that Tierney or, uh, and Kedia was able to, uh, turn that back towards goal because it, it was coming off that post really fast. Yeah, it's it's the haggis. I think uh, Tierney is definitely getting uh, <laughs> his haggis for breakfast. Strict diet of pure haggis. <laughs> um, but yeah, it just it looked good across the board. I, I again, going back to Vera, I am very excited about what he has brought to the team so far and figuring out how to properly integrate him and get the most out of him I mean, I, I don't think we've seen the best of him yet, but what the little um, sparks we've seen from him, he just looks like the the, the next big thing to, to come through. So I'm I'm excited for him to kind of find his feet with the team. And um, however we end up using him, I think he's going to be a great asset. Well, I mean, I think with Vieira, he's definitely not a this year player. He may play some, some, some role, but I don't think he's going to shine this year. But he's a player that next season is going on the form he's playing right now is going to break out and be an amazing star. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think he's, he's one of those where he's, he's definitely a better player than um, Martinelli was when he came in or Martinelli was even up until this season. I think Martinelli's just leveled up a couple (laughs) levels this year, but um, Vera comes in a little further ahead of him as far as, uh, the the end product but he's just looking like if he gets the time and he gets the space he can make things happen and just offers a a bit different look than Odegaard does in that position and um it's nice to have different options and somebody you can bring off the bench to provide something different um so we got we go into the second round uh, uh, of glimpse tomorrow, the table has Arsenal at the top at the moment of our group, and uh, I'm feeling pretty comfortable. I know PSV is probably our uh, next biggest uh, competition in in the group, but um, I, I I imagine we're going to be uh, getting through after a win tomorrow. I would imagine we're we're sitting pretty. I I. I am going to put the caveat that Bodo Glimp has shown against other high quality teams that they can do things. Uh, they're not necessarily the pushover other like, you know, maybe fourth, fifth tier uh, European teams, you would think, especially playing mm-hmm. at home. It's going to be a long journey. It's going to oh, yeah. be their stadium's going to be rocking. It's going to be full of half of Norway in that that stadium. 
it, it's still going to be a test. It's it, it, it's not a pushover. I don't think we'll see the three nil that we saw, but I'm I'm hopeful that we we're, we're going to be able to get a win. But I'm just going to put a caveat on that that it's not a given game. It's not a gimme game by any means. More so than many other teams that we'd find in that position. I, as I said, they they've played in Europe. They've taken some scalps. They they'll be ready for us. Gotta wonder how many uh, how many of those fans have Arsenal as their kind of Premier League team, just with the uh, the Odegaard connection, or yeah. maybe City for for Holland. But uh, um, I heard that they were trying to make sure people didn't wear their Arsenal jerseys yeah. to the game. <laughs> well, I mean, but also Odegaard didn't play for a glimpse. Like, uh, you know, national allegiances go take you only so far, but when it's your club, it's, it would be like if uh, Zach Steffens was playing against the Sounders, you wouldn't necessarily be uh, rooting for Zach Steffens because he's an American because he played for Colorado, you know, like <laughs> there are, there are other dynamics in play. Yeah. I just heard specifically, they were telling fans to make sure they didn't wear their Arsenal jerseys. <laughs> I was like, Oh, that must mean there's more than a few, uh, uh Odegaard fans out yeah. there. Yeah. Oh, uh, Arsenal is very popular in Scandinavia in general. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we'll see how that, uh, plays out tomorrow. I think they, they looked, uh, they they didn't look like pushovers in the first leg, but um, definitely uh, an opportunity for Arsenal to take good control of the the group uh, with a win tomorrow, and and it sets us up well uh, going into Leeds. As you know, we've gotten some good rotation with these players, uh, getting opportunities, and I think you you have to look at players like Vera and and say, hey, these these, these are these guys are going to be pushing for premier league minutes if they keep on the trajectory that they're going. So it, it is good to get these, um, get the rest for our premier league team, but also get rotational minutes for these other yeah, guys. And it's another opportunity for Nketi to show why he should be, uh, fighting for minutes in that striker position as well. So, mm-hmm. yeah, we absolutely, um, need as many people scoring as possible. And so if we have a strong bench that, that bodes well for our longevity this season, especially as injuries will certainly come into play sooner sooner or later. And World Cup. And World Cup. Those things go hand in hand, injuries and World Cup. <laughs> Hopefully not. <laughs> we did not get any questions from the listeners this week, and I enjoy answering your questions, so please uh, submit your questions. Yeah, and while you're at it, you know, we are talking about World Cup quite a bit. It's coming up sooner than later uh if you are uh, a fan of another team other than the u.s team or um you feel like you can speak well to another team we'd like to have some correspondence on our uh you know on our uh figurative payroll <laughs> we're not going to pay you no. but we'd love to have you on and uh chat about your team as the world cup unfolds and we have to fill fill the air fill the airwaves. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't. I guess that's not what we're doing. But you know, we got to fill fill that time. And and there's lots of stuff that we're not going to be able to watch. And well, Tim, you might watch every game. Yes. I think to to have uh, other people on to talk about their teams is is something I look forward to because it makes the whole World Cup more exciting. 
So if you're one of those people and you want to represent another team, uh, reach out to us and uh, we will gladly keep you in the loop as we put those plans together. Uh, we've, got, we've got England covered. We've got uh, Australia covered. And uh, we'll, we'll, we'll fill in the roster as we go along here. So if you've uh, got a team in mind, reach out. Uh, if you want to send us those questions or get in touch with us at all, there's a few ways you can do that. Uh, Twitter is one of them. It's at W of N London. Email us at westofnorthlondon at gmail.com. Voicemails can be sent to anchor.fm slash westofnorthlondon slash message. And you can join us on our Discord, which you can find a link to in the show notes. Uh, I really appreciate you listening to this entire episode. If you've stuck with us and like what you've heard, review and subscribe wherever you're picking up the podcast this week. And if you like the theme song that's at the top of the show, that's from a band called Bobcat. Their album, No Course to Follow, has been, um, you know, it's been out for a while. They, they may have new stuff. Tim, any, any idea? I don't think they have anything new right now, but I, I, I should probably double check. I will check in. Okay, we should we should know that stuff, yes. but you, know, you could find out yourself by going to their website. bobc.at is where you can find them and all that information. So that's all for us this week. So as always, see you at the next gun show.